Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me as always are Vince and a very entertaining Zach for the evening. So fine, I'm just me. Okay, we are here to talk about the DC Comics being released on November 30th, 2021. Hey, that's tomorrow. Uh, first up, we're gonna do a recap of the last month of Fear State. So uh what I would like you boys to do is just to tell me like anything of note from any of the books that aren't Batman 117 or Fear State Omega? Um, whatever issue Nightwing was, mm -hmm. was that? Um, 86. 86. Probably the best issue of the whole event, I think. I loved that issue. Uh, I love that crew together. What was that one? It's 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 when <laughs> Dick Babs, uh, the two Batgirls, and Tim, like um, they, they oh take, yeah, they go up to the skyship or whatever, and they bring it down. Yes, yes, yes. That was very good. Yeah. Sorry, it feels like a lifetime ago that I actually <laughs> read that. So no, I I understand. Um. Yes, that was very good. Um. Yes. Um. I will say. The Catwoman stuff was very good. Um, although, like, I don't know. It, it felt like a really tenuous uh, thread to the Fear State stuff. Um, it's so I'm. I, I'll admit I did not like follow the Catwoman stuff that closely. I haven't been reading Rom V's Catwoman. It boggles my mind that <laughs> this Catwoman book is the same Catwoman book that Joelle Jones started that spun out of the Tom King Batman because <laughs> that feels like a lifetime ago it and does, this book's yes. only in like the 30s, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 37. It, I, it's unfathomable to me. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, <laughs> it's a clerk's joke. Go back to the 90s. You I, could, you I find don't it very get funny. it. Still yeah. don't get it. Um, Drink a margarita and watch clerks. Okay. Okay. Um, That's Patreon I, content right there. Rom V is Rom V's Catwoman is probably something that I will say I'm going to revisit someday. <laughs> one day I'm, I'm going to do like one day I'm going to need to do like a full Rom V DC catch up because he is like the person I've just been neglecting. By by like no fault of just other than there's so much other stuff I have to read and all of his stuff just seems to be falling by the wayside for mm. me. But um, I one day I want to come back to it. But I I did get the sense that it was kind of the most tenuous. I I have you know not had a good grasp for um the Catwoman status quo. I really I have a lot of stuff I want to say. Kind of just like closing out the Tynion ten tenure on Batman. Same, yeah. uh, but but I do I do feel like his choice to separate Bruce and and Selena and how that influenced this book like really aff affected my interest uh, for the war or you know uh, affected my disinterest I guess I should say in the book um, and I'm I'm personally really excited for the Ayala Nico Leone run that's coming up I'm. Mm -hmm saying right now on the podcast that I'm going to try to keep up with that uh, run. Um, but it it seems really weird that 
the book that that Rombies run on the book and, and Fernando Blanco and everyone else who worked on it um, is, is closing out as part of Fear State when it, it was just barely tied into it, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's okay, though, because like, then you can read it and not feel like you're, I mean, honestly, honestly, the only Fear State tie in Catwoman 37 is the poison ivy gardener stuff that's that's really the only thing and i i feel like that works well enough on its own that you can you can squint and not miss anything so this is a weird event excuse me in that there is there are some books that are totally necessary to know what fear state is to enjoy them like for instance nightwing basically says in that first issue like we gotta leave bloodhaven just when things were getting good right like there's there's a um like a tacit understanding that you're gonna follow this event and there is there are issues in nightwing that will only make sense really in the context of that event and then there are things like catwoman that have none of that at all and there's things like harley quinn that is like half and half right where all of the stuff that's happening with kevin is happening because of the fear state, but is not like you don't need to know exactly. All you need to know is there's a thing called the fear state, and the Harley Quinn book kind of makes sense, or at least at least the non Harley Ivy stuff makes sense. And then there's Detective, which theoretically is part of the event and is happening at the same time, but truly feels like it's a different Batman in that comic. Um. That detective run is very strange to me. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that run so far. I I am behind. That's another one. I might catch up on detective before the shadow of the bat stuff starts, but I also may not. You know how these things are. I yes, we do. Um, Vince did bring up the gardener though in regard to Catwoman, and did either of you read that? One shot, the gardener special. It was illustrated by Christian Ward, so Vince was never going to touch that with a ten foot stick. You you didn't read it, Vince? No, absolutely not. I'm I'm amazed you would ask me that. It was good. No. Yeah, it was actually very good. It was extremely interesting, and I wish that we were getting more of that stuff. And it brings me to a bigger point of just like how much. I think is like left undone in Tynion's Batron, how like clearly rushed it seems and like how sad I am about that and how it negatively kind of like retroactively sours a lot of the goodwill I had for his Batman run. I know I like sang its praises when we were comparing it to the Snyder run a few months ago, or a few weeks ago. Um, I still think overall, I probably like the Tynion Bat Run just a little bit better, but I, I, that's just personal taste. I, I don't think it's as good as the Snyder Run now, and I'm kind of sad about that. So I, I don't. It's just not as complete. Well, is and and it, in both in like it, and I mean like in the like resolution of its themes and and the the narrative structure, in so much as there almost isn't any. <laughs> um, well, it's okay. I, I want to push back against that slightly. I don't know that any, like, it's very hard for any comic run to actually feel complete, right? There's always. I don't know. 
there are very few i will say there there are especially especially in things like um batman or superman where these stories there's not a like for instance when 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 priest deathstroke ended that was a clear closing of a book because there wasn't going to be a deathstroke number 51 next month right and i feel like in the bat books you can't have a hard reset in between writers everything is yeah but mm. there have been many batman writers though who have been able to tell like like snyder tell a long cohesive run that 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 wraps up its themes and threads in a satisfying way i, I agree with that but snyder also had the end of the book to contend with for that um Nominally. yeah but i think that that's yeah that's just a technicality <laughs> because like tom king just because it was a new number one doesn't make it a clean slate you know it'll all get rebooted into batman 1000 eventually i i, I of course i agree with that um, um what, what i will say is this i will say that there i don't think there was much in terms of tinyan's telling of the Batman story that didn't get finished. What I think you're saying is a sort of a, a backhanded compliment to him, which is that I think he, I think he seeded enough interesting issue, interesting ideas in his issues that there's so many more stories to pick up from here. And I won't judge. I won't judge the run in terms of its completeness or incompleteness until we see what people do with those pieces. I, I guess that is true. I do feel that, but I think it's more than that, just in that his, his like Batman thesis doesn't go anywhere. Right. Right. And you know what I think, Brian, I think, I think what you say is only true because that's how corporate comics work. It's not because of something James Tynion did. So if you consider like the, um, the fear state Omega issue Tynion basically goes character by character and says, um, well, we're done with this person. <laughs> like with the gardener, the gardener's um, uh, epilogue or whatever you want to want to call it basically closes the door on that character. Now, of course, some writer, other writers going to come along and eventually pluck that character back and find something for them to do. But, but just because Tynion created that character and put them there doesn't mean that that's like a seed that's being planted. The story very much didn't read that way. The story read uh, poison Ivy saying, get out of my city and I never want to see you again <laughs> type thing. The only thread that I can think of, that it really seems intentional to bleed into the next whatever status quo is the ghost maker training uh, clown hunter goblin killer, whatever his name is. Well, clown hunter. Yes. And my read on that is almost like in pushing those guys off to train with each other. Yes. Some writer could pick them back up, but it's also a convenient way of just like kill Like, they Killing died on the way, way back, back to their, their own planet. planet. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. The only thing like, I'll say about that is that it would be a spoiler to talk about why for those two, it's particularly not, it's different. Um, but it would be a spoiler for next week. So it would be, uh, yeah. Um, we'll talk about that 
uh, in about an hour or so. I, an hour for us, I? a week for you. Yeah. I don't know. What did I not read? We'll get to but that later. Okay. We'll get to that later. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's not that interesting. Um, but all I'm saying is that's the one, that's the one identifiable plot point that a writer is already looking to pick back up. Of course, we're going to see Simon Saint again someday. Of course, we're going to see. Well, okay. Let me push back against that a little bit there, though. Okay. With Simon Saint, we see exactly where we're going to see him again. Because Amanda Waller is basically taking him in. So you know he's going to show up theoretically in the Suicide Squad, right? And I feel like there's no reason to put that in there if somebody at DC didn't say, hey, I want to use him next. And so I feel like that is setting up for something else. I feel like Ghost Hunter and Clown Killer, whatever the fuck their names are, Ghost Maker (laughs) and Clown Hunter... I Ghost like, clown. Yeah. Face. <laughs> exactly, yes. Uh, I, I feel like, you know, we obviously. Clown fucker. <laughs> we obviously know like somewhat of what's happening with those characters, right? There, there is a, there is something to do with them later. We know that the gardener, don't they tease the gardener showing up someplace too? But, uh, I don't know about that one. I can't remember now, but my, my, my point is that I, I feel like while while Tynion closes his story out with these characters, I really don't think that he's closing the book on any of the new characters all that much. Like, to me, this definitely felt like a rushed ending. And Zach, I agree with you. I think that his thesis, I don't even know what his thesis is, honestly. I think he was in, like, the beginning of the second act of this thesis, and then it got ended. So I don't even know what he would, I don't even know what he would say the thesis was at this point. Um, exactly. I, I think that if you take his detective comics run from Rebirth into account, I would say that his thesis is that Batman needs his family. And I think that that is relatively well accomplished through this. But to me, it doesn't go far enough. If if that's what he was trying to do, I don't think he goes far enough with it. Correct. And And a lot of other people do that work for him, which is not... That 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 aspect is not a knock on Tynion. It's just that a lot of that stuff happens in other books. Right. Agreed. Uh, do we have anything to say about Batman 117 in particular, the last like proper issue of Fear State? Just kind of how conventionally everything wraps up, I think, is a little bit of a disappointment. You've been the most down on this event since it started. Yeah, so I, I'm not I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I don't disagree with what you said. Like, there's nothing surprising in that last issue, but I will say that I think Tanyan has become very good at nailing the emotions in the conclusion of an event. Like, I feel like I I look at comics with a cynical eye, of course, but I felt like I was feeling the things that I was supposed to feel while reading that issue. I think I I, I don't know if it was done all that elegantly but i think that tanyan is good at setting up setting up the reader to feel something and that's actually a big key to his success is that he can elicit those emotions from the reader i i i don't disagree with you but i would almost push back on that as like not a good thing because i kind of feel like the story is a little manipulative in that way and that it's like trying to get you to feel things that it hasn't necessarily earned. Like, 
I don't because disagree with that. Because the story hasn't done the groundwork there. It's just like, oh, I, I should feel a certain way. And the this book is kind of nudging me towards feeling a certain way, even if the legwork hasn't really been done to actually justify or elicit those emotions. I think that's a fair criticism. Um, the art was good. <laughs> As always, Jorge Jimenez is very good. Yes, he is. Great even. Yeah. I, I think this is I this is probably like too big of a conversation for the scope of the show, but I just think it's so funny how like we have Fear State, which acts to kind of like completely cut off the pipeline to future state. And then we have another book that we're going to talk about a little bit later that is very much like chugging light right along to future state. Um, <laughs> and again, just how perplexed I am by, you know, editorially what the connection between infinite frontier and future state, if there even is supposed to be one and kind of what's going on there. I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by that. Um but but yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say about that. It, the, 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 the secret, I think, is just that half the company was working on 5G stuff. And when they stopped, a lot of that was retrofitted. And so half the stuff feels like it's building to something bigger and half the stuff is not at all. And that's as well, simple think, as it is. I think it's just like whoever wants to do it, they can't. Like, it, it just doesn't matter. You know, it's like if you want to, if you want to line it up, you can. If you want to continue, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like a lot of the legwork was done thing. Even even the Williamson kind of pushed back on that. Um, I, I still have to think that <laughs> a lot of that, maybe it wasn't work that was finished, but it was con- conceptualized in some way. Sure. Well, but like, even uh, regardless of that, though, you know, they don't have to keep falling back on that, you know? Right, right, right. Like, they don't have to keep going back to the future state well. Yeah, but they um, do. It's a choice. I yeah. mean, to be fair, saying they keep going back to the well, it's been less than a year. Like, yeah, but, we- but like, how often did DC ever, like, you know, how, how often did they, like, fall back on convergence in the first year you know i mean but i i think if you take an event that isn't convergence it's different that was an event that was done because the company was moving right I, well I think if, but I, I think if you I mean, read future state wasn't that different though like it, it it was actually closer to convergence than say something like villains month or future's end or I guess it was actually kind of close to Future's End, but Future's End was actually tying into a book called Future's End that was running. <laughs> right. Um, we're, we're getting way off topic here. We have so much to talk about tonight. Um, I do have a couple of things to say about the Alpha issue, which was that um, I think it's really surprising that Peacekeeper 1 is, going, is still running around. I don't know if this character we'll ever see again, um, but clearly DC wants that character for future... Arkham Asylum games, I guess. I don't know why else they would keep it around. Um, do you guys recognize the name of Chase Meridian? Yeah, yeah. 
Isn't she, um, is she a Burton Batman character? She's a Nicole Schumacher. Kidman. She's Nicole Kidman in Batman Forever. Yes. Okay. Okay. So forever. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that they're bringing, I know she's been in the comics before, but I think it's funny that they're doing that. And, um, yeah, that issue had some great Gia March art for a few pages and the rest of the art was like, it felt like everybody who fills in on your favorite book and you're like, Oh, this guy, like, uh, Ricardo Federici, Christian Duce, Ryan Benjamin and Trevor Harrison. Which for a lot of people, Federici is, is a big deal. Cause he's got that like painterly style that a lot of people like, but poof. he's a poor does, man's Ben Oliver does not do it for me. Poor man's Ben Oliver. It's about the same. <laughs> Judd Winnick called him a genius to me. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, you know who it's kind of similar to that I've well, no, it's not really. You, you guys would really shit on me if I oh, said that. Now, now you have to say it. Now you have to say it. Yeah. We'll even I, we'll bleep it if we need to. I've really, I've really say soured. It. I've, I, no, I think I know who you're going to say it. I think I know who you're going to say it. Come on, say it. Do, I, does their name I, start with E? Yeah, it does. Uh-huh, okay. Isad Rivik. Uh-huh, yep. I knew I've, it. I'm soured. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. You, I, I have no problem yeah. with that. Okay. Yeah, no, you're, I, I, I think I'm right there with you, honestly, and it's, it's really because it comes down to the faces. Yes, yep. Yep. So uh, Eternals of, does it... not look great. Um, no. Sorry. No. I'm glad also... I'm in a safe space with, with yeah. people who will allow me to carry this opinion. What I was going to say about someone like Ribic too, is I feel like sometimes these artists are just paired on a book. The first time, the first few times you see them are paired on a book that just fits so well for them. That you're like, oh, this person's great. I love this person. But then when you see them removed from that context, you're like, oh no, I just love that book. And that person fit that book, but I'm not necessarily a fan of them, you know, going forward. Yeah, I I think that's right. I think I do not like this style for Batman. I think it's yeah, I just think it's so ill-fitting. Um now for something like Thor, God of Thunder, or whatever. Yeah, then you know it's still not my favorite style of art in the world, but um, it definitely fits tone wise, and and it, to give that book an aesthetic that's unforgettable, it really worked. Um, it, just, and it it might actually work on action comics, even maybe, maybe. I we'll, we'll, that. that remains to be seen. Yeah, I think you're right. It might. I do think like stylistically there's always a jump I'm going to have to make to enjoy it. Um, but it's, I'm not saying it's impossible. You're, you're right though. That Gia March art, just a few pages. It's, it's the best. What, what is March doing? What, what are they going to The freaking Joker. <sighs> That's right. I forgot that book exists. They got to get March on something else once that book's over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's move on then. Um, 
to the Detective Comics Annual 2021, written so, by. So not so much moving on. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I have a lot to say about this book. Uh, written by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg, illustrated by David Laffham. Um, oh yeah, I have a lot to say about it too. It's just kind of continuing the thread as well. Yes, yes. Um, so, my question for you guys is: Did this read like the same Batman we've been reading for the last couple of years, like the character himself? Because I did not recognize Batman in this comic. I um, uh, I like this Batman more. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, I, I this is closer this. to real Batman in that he sucks. Uh, yeah. Tynion yeah. has been writing a very rose tinted Batman, trying to make us think that he's actually a good person. Yeah. Um, and not a soulless murderer. Um, but. <laughs> Well, for all, he's never killed, first of all. Well, <laughs> this Batman has killed many times. I never, <laughs> I, he's never, no. No, and I'm not saying I like him more because he's like a better person. No, I just like, it's the opposite of what you're saying. I, 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 I like reading this um, colder Batman. You know, um, ah, that that conflicts with things I've said before in the past, but I think like, okay, okay, let me clarify this. I love Nightwing walking out of this hospital after take after dealing with the cops and taking the flack for all of this and Bruce sitting on a park bench right outside, uh, like chit chatting with him in broad daylight about it all, because that's just enough like. When he's around the Bat family, it automatically lightens him up a little bit, even if he's still a jerk. But now he's like Don Draper among like the other cast members of Mad Men or something. You know, there's something really enjoyable about that dynamic to me. And I think this book kind of strikes it the way that I want it. See, I just felt this Batman was insufferable to spend time with. I, I mean, how so? Okay, so I feel like the underlying message of Batman has always been that the priority for him is protecting everybody. And that includes the villains. Like, that's why he doesn't kill. That's why he... You're... You, you, Vincent, James... I don't know what your middle name is. James, John, Joseph? What's the J? Jefferson, man. Jefferson. It's, it's also not Vincent. God, do you even know me at all? I'm sorry. Vince. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your parents Vincente. wanted to give you, Vincente. Wanted to give you a uh, half name. I, I'm sorry. <sighs> um, but, but my point is, your Batman is this one who goes to extraordinary lengths to not kill. And this Batman basically says, if he dies, he dies. Like, fuck the villains. I don't care. My job is to protect the citizens of Gotham, not to save the villains. He says that. That's not me, like, putting words in his mouth. He actually says that in this issue. And I'm sorry that I don't recognize that character. Now, I think if there was if something happened and it says, okay, this is so this event happened and this is Bruce Wayne's reaction to that happening, that he has now been hardened by this. And so he now is a new opinion. But this is just like, nope, this is how I roll. Fuck it. Who cares? And um, he's he really pushes that. And Nightwing 
rightfully so, like pushes back against it. But Nightwing doesn't say like, this isn't you, Bruce. He's just like, come on, man, you're better than this. Like he doesn't, I feel like everything, it's so casual how much he doesn't care about the lives of the criminals here. And that's just, again, there are lots of comic characters that are that way, but that's explicitly not who Batman is. Am I wrong? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't read it that way at all. I, I read it as typical Bruce versus Nightwing philosophy differences. You guys I didn't, talk, I'm, I'm going to pull up some dialogue. You guys talk for a minute. I didn't read it at all as if he dies, he dies. Um, he, he, he almost exactly says that. Where? I'm, I'm pulling it up. Give me a second. Talk for a second. I know he said he at one point he says, like, our priority is the citizens of Gotham, which is true. Like that, that is true. And then, and then Nightwing says, well, he's a citizen of Gotham too, which is again, that that's your, that's your Bruce versus Dick philosophy difference. Bruce isn't saying like, Bruce isn't saying the villain should die. He's saying the priority is the, the citizenry. Okay. So Bruce kicks this guy in the face and Dick says, that feels a little, felt a little excessive, didn't it? And he says, yes. And that is like a very small window. Yeah, that's nothing. <laughs> but, but, but here's, so he said, Dick says to him, it's not working, Batman. Taking sick people and locking them in boxes for years. The revolving doors are Arkham. The mass escapes to Blackgate. And Bruce says, do you really think I haven't thought about this? That I haven't tried to find any solution? I don't want to see them back on the streets. And Dick says, I want to see them get better. And eventually, Bruce just says he doesn't care about that. The, the, the citizens deserve to feel safe in their own city. And that's that's the end of it. He doesn't care about them getting better. We can't we do what we can here. We aren't the cure for the sickness of the city, but we treat its symptoms like to me. That's just that's not Bruce. Bruce is always looking for the cure. And again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to belabor this because I thought the art in this was dope. And I think there's some good Nightwing moments in here. I just feel like this is such a dark Bruce that I really don't. I don't know. It just to me, this didn't feel like the Bruce I've been reading. I, I don't necessarily feel like it's dark as much as it is just like maybe a little bit more cynical, but or I honestly cold. maybe think cold it's like is a, the better word. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a truer take on the character. Honestly, I think mm -hmm. it makes sense. Um, I, it may be a slight departure from where DC has been kind of like where, where he's been for a while but I, I think it tracks pretty well and it, and if anything i would say as part of the infinite frontier and kind of what infinite frontier stands for a kind of like back to basics you know forget the last 10 years of comics happened and let's uh, pick things up where we left them this feels pretty much like that to me See, I and again, I'm sorry, Vince, I'll just cut you off there. But no, no, no. I feel like Vince and I have talked a lot about how we care about the meta narrative a lot. And Zach, you could not care less about the meta narrative at this point. And I feel uh, like I care a little bit. OK, but I, I feel like this disregards the Bruce of the meta narrative. That's my biggest uh, problem with it. It's just this feels see, I out did, of I think place I disagree. I think I disagree. What do you think, Vince? Call it. I think I think Brian's right if he's talking about the Tynion 
meta narrative. I don't think it disregards the potential of the infinite frontier landscape. But who has been driving the Batman narrative in infinite frontier? Well, I don't think Tynion stuff really, I that's pre infinite frontier to me, even though it ran through the beginning of infinite frontier, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, like conceptually it's, it's, it's pre that. But that that's like saying that Scott Snyder's Batman doesn't count in the new 52. No, because because the bat books conceptually picked up where they left off before Flashpoint. No, 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 no. I, no, it's not. No. Um, Man, we are on some pedantic <laughs> bullshit tonight. Like, here's, OK, here's the last thing I want to say about this, this, this theory of the of the dark twisted Batman. Um, I think. Uh, Brian, you're right. This is a different sounding Batman than we've been reading. I think Zach is also right when he says says it's like truer to the it's truer to the like 70s, 80s uh, evolution of Batman and what that character became in the uh, in the like public uh, sort of hive mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. I I think it's I think I'm sorry. I'm going to stop after saying this one sentence. I think this is what people who only read the killing joke and the dark Knight returns think Batman is. Yeah. And it's what, you know, I can already tell that it's what it's kind of what the Batman is going to be. The Matt Reeves thing. Oh yes. Because he's punching the shit out of that one guy. uh, Like probably more brutally than we've seen a Batman do on, on camera yet. Right. Um, That feels exactly a piece with this where he's, you know, excessively kicking the guy or whatever. But what I will say is I think Tamaki and company are purposely doing that. And you may not like it, you know, you may not agree with it, but I do think it is a purposeful choice because I think the Arkham tower stuff, the shadows of the bad or whatever this thing is called, it's, it's making intentional inroads to uh making making bruce this side this like one side of the equation and then the bat family spearheaded apparently by dick at this point this other side of things and i think you see that that's what this whole issue is about it's about how nightwing uh how nightwing sees the rehabilitation of villains and how he's going to get himself um involved in the police work and the mental health work versus Bruce, who is acting like this cold kind of lone wolf figure, even though he's got Nightwing at at his side. So it may seem like a regression and it is, I can admit that it probably is. If you were looking for Tynion's bat story to move this forward to it being about the bat family, those books kind of did that. We already talked about that in this episode. This is almost a slight regression back to then reestablish that same thing in the weekly, in the weekly story that we're going to be getting. Does that make sense? It does. I, my, my last thought on this, we probably should move on. I want to hear what Zach thinks about this issue. What What you think about this issue? We've basically only talked about my thoughts on it, but my last thought is that, and I said this before, if there was an inciting event that led to this, I'd have no problem with this. 
this just feels like even if even having been reading the Tamaki Mora Batman uh, Detective Comics run, this doesn't feel like that Batman to me. Like, that's my whole point is that this seems totally disjointed from the Bruce we've been reading. And so I would I would feel much better about this if there was some sort of event that happened. And it doesn't have to be a huge event. It could be a very simple thing that Bruce witnesses or that Bruce remembers or whatever. That well, if down only there was a flashback <laughs> at the beginning of this issue. Well, that, happened, that happened 35 years ago, whatever. Like, you know, it's he's it's remembering not... it. But he's, but the, but, he but he's pondering his orb, Brian. Of fear state. No, he but that's re- but, yeah. but that's bullshit because the memory eventually leads him to say, "I've been I I went astray. I should be more compassionate." So the so the flashback is not what makes him harder. It's what at the end softens him. So he's it's po- not he's pondering his orb, Brian. He's pondering his orb. <laughs> <sighs> Under, um, under my orbs. <laughs> wow, Brian, so blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Change. <laughs> so, so blue. Um, I I loved this. I I thought this was like uh, Brian. Forgetting what you said about like um you know, whether or not this is true to the Batman we've been reading, you know, we can, we can split hairs on that all day, but I think as a standalone story, and that's the thing that impresses me most about this, this is supposed to be the the prelude to shadows of the bat. So, you know, one would be worried that this is effectively the first issue of it or something like that. It really isn't necessarily. I'm certain it all ties in with the Arkham tower uh, chase Meridian stuff. Absolutely. But the fact is it stands alone as a full story on its own, a full 40 page. Yes. Bruce and Dick story, a mystery as it were Um, something, you know, totally befitting of detective comics. Um, A beginning, a middle and an end, a a very strong, I think um, um, sort of flashback framing sequence with Bruce uh, as a kid kind of, losing a piece of his innocence, but also like seeing, seeing Thomas Wayne in a different eye and, and a different one than we usually do as well. I think um, we don't, we've apparently Thomas Wayne has been in like thousands of Batman comics because he's one of the top 100 <laughs> most published characters as we found yes. out that's Patreon content. It is Patreon content. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we don't always get to see him as anything more than like, uh, a murderer a, de- a dead guy <laughs> yeah 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 okay um and i think you know this does a, this does a really good job of fleshing his character out in a very empathetic way and a way that clearly aff- affects bruce in an honest way and then i think like it's actually a nightwing comic because as i as i said already like dick is the one who has to deal with the fallout dick has to be like the the for lack of a better word, like public face of the casework that he and Bruce are doing. He's the one who has to take the flack for things, uh, clean up the messes with the police. Um, and I, I think he's really good in that role. I think, I think Tamaki 
and Rosenberg, I guess they co-wrote this, right? Yes. Um, they both do a very good job of staying true to who Dick is, but showing kind of like a frustrated, but, but ultimately righteous version of that character, I think. And, uh, you can really feel that 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 the the difference between Bruce's philosophy and Dick's is what's going to set up uh, the event going forward. And I, I'm very excited about that because I think the groundwork is laid pretty beautifully here. Um, and then that's without even mentioning the the David uh, Lapham art, which is again, I just love how unconventional it is for a DC comic, like. You know, it looks like an issue of Stray Bullets, um, which is, you know, most people might look at it and not think anything of it. But I think there's there's so many subtle details here, like the way that a car whizzes by Bruce or just like him shoving a hot dog into his mouth. That's a little more like indie cartoon, indie mm-hmm. cartoony than the bat books are sometimes allowed to be. Um. The, the page where um, Faust Jr. is is all decked out and coming after that jogger say, saying sinner and he has oh, yeah. his bone wings outspread like that 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 is like psycho in a way that um, like mainstream DCU I feel like doesn't really go for you know mm-hmm. it, not even but not even in like a grim and gritty way but just in like a unhinged kind of way. <laughs> yeah, it is unhinged. Exactly. Yes. In like a stray bullets kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, something that is so like uniquely lap them. And mm-hmm. it's good. It's very good. I, the art was fantastic. Zach, what do you think of the issue overall? I liked it a lot. I liked the counterplay between Dick and Bruce. Um, I, I all I always like stories that are kind of like highlighting the fact that Dick is the heart of everything. Um, Speaking of that, have you guys seen the solicitations for February? What's happening in Nightwing in February? No. Yeah, the crossover. It's a crossover with Superman, son of Kal El, where he's going to be like mentoring uh, John. Yeah, it's which fantastic. Is perfect. It's the oh, best. Nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, I guess, like, the one knock I had against it is I thought that the bit with this mysterious group of forgotten Gothamites um, saving and then putting the meager man back on the streets felt a little muddled. It it all happened kind of quickly, and it it felt a little... um, not not rushed isn't the right word, but it, it the way it was sequenced and the pacing just felt like slightly off to me. That that whole sequence didn't read super well. In that you know he gets captured, then this group finds finds him and releases him, and then he gets captured immediately again. It, it felt just a little weird. Um, it seemed like the focus was more on introducing all the pieces rather than the the plot. It, it seemed like that the plot was sacrificed a little bit in in setting up all the pieces, which is understandable a little bit, I think. And it, it's a small, very small gripe. It's literally the only knock I have on this issue, I think. I also feel like that trope happens in Batman comics every nine to ten months, 
where there's like yeah. a group of people who are, represent the forgotten Gotham that take people in off the streets to help rehabilitate them. That happens all the time in Batman comics. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, no, I have I, a, I have a small. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say I have a small question about like the status quo of Shadow of the Bat and the status quo of like the Bat books moving forward. In that it's very it's very interesting to me that this book or this storyline seems predicated, like we've talked about, on the kind of duality of Bruce and Dick. But we have been told that, you know, Bruce is leaving Gotham in the pages of Batman and Dick seems to very much be going back to Bloodhaven. And so if, unless, you know, we're being misled a little bit and, and one or both of those characters will show up in Shadow of the Bat... I, I, I just genuinely wonder like how much of a role they're going to play in the movie and the, in the story moving forward. I mean, I think they're going to be front and center of it. I, that is, this is me trying to fight against all of my instincts of we should know where every character is at all times in the DC universe. Like yeah. I hate when there's five Batman books because it just makes it hard for me to buy into the fiction that this is possible. Right. Um, but I feel like I, I think that those characters and Vince, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Bruce like isn't this a Bruce story, the Shadow with a Bat story? I don't know. I don't I don't I, read I, thought, I don't really read solicits. I thought that we were told that like Bruce is gone, like he's leaving Gotham, and that was the whole impetus for Shadow of the Bat. See, I thought I'm looking this up. I had thought that that was happening in Batman. I don't know if that's necessarily carrying over here. I hope so. I hope I hope that Bruce and Dick aren't a part of this because that that is way more interesting to me than uh than whatever else is going on here. Okay, let's see. Um DC Comics. You guys talk while I read. Okay. Mm, Zach, you pouring another margarita? No, there are no more margaritas. Are you wasting away and Margaritaville, yeah. Looking for his lost sticker, shaker assault. Uh, so it says here that um, Shadows of the Bat will tell will detail the story of a newly constructed Arkham Tower being quickly overrun by the inmates and Batman being forced to intervene and uncover the mystery behind Doctor Ware's plans. So I think Batman is certainly a part of it. Bruce being certainly part well, of it. Well, see, I'm reading another article here, the headline. Maybe this is off. This is from August. It says Batman quits Gotham setting up 2022 DC event Shadows of the Bat. I, it, I guess it could both. I guess he could leave Gotham and be forced to come back. You know, just when I thought I yeah. was out, they pulled me back in, etc. Um, okay, you know. so. so Batman leaving Gotham will be one of the lasting effects of the current Fear State event, which doesn't feel true <laughs> that wasn't really a thing in in fear state omega which no. i think we were kind of expecting i was wishing for that well next week we're going to talk about a book that i think gives an explanation for why he's not in gotham right now but it doesn't seem to be a permanent right. move at all mm -hmm. it doesn't which is a again uh, maybe this is just reading into people in general reading into solicits too much because I mean, this, this, like, I, I definitely remember there being headlines and, and articles geared towards this direction. It doesn't necessarily seem like that's the way it's going. I mean, it also could have just changed, right? That could have been the plan. It, it could have, yeah. 
but that then, but DC got cold feet for whatever reason. Then they said, well, actually, Jace is going to New York. So yeah, that's yeah. the other thing I don't understand about this. But that's yet again another story well, for another day. They've been waiting for him. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, ah, ah. Uh, oh, Zach, I know you all too well. Oh, uh, you really are drunk. You're a little late uh, on that I, one. I'm your mirror. I'm your mirror ball. <laughs> well, let's do this. Let, let's quickly power through the one story we're going to talk about in the Gotham City Villains Anniversary Giant. But first, Vince, you had, you had a general comment about DC's anthologies you wanted to get out there. Oh, yeah. So I just wanted to, like, it occurred to me reading this book, and I've kind of felt that way the last couple that we read. Um, but I think this one really crystallized it for me. Um, for a while there, after Rebirth started, we thought that, DC's anthologies were getting really good where they were like, like almost every story in every anthology was hitting. And then I think the last few that we've read, we kind of felt like it was going down the other side of the mountain a bit. Um, and I think what the Gotham city villains anniversary giant kind of clarifies for me is that the enjoyment to be found in these is really in the art. I think um, I think in the anthologies that's these days, that's when you're going to get like uh, an Emma Rios story, a Wes Craig story, um, a Max Fiamara story, right? Like a lot of this art is stuff that you're not going to see anywhere else at DC other than in like a 10 page entry in an anthology. Right, because whatever um, for whatever reason you can convince somebody to do ten pages in this, where you can't maybe convince them to do a, a uh, you know a, a long run on a character. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if that if that's a compensation thing or just a general uh, creative interest thing. Who knows? Um, but I think the stories, by and large, in this are very rudimentary very plain um they're they're just vehicles for the art in a lot of ways in that like for example there's a scarecrow story in this well we just got like fear state (laughs) this scare this scarecrow story does absolutely nothing with the character that's like novel other than it's drawn by Wes craig well it's also written by Wes craig but like the selling point is that it's drawn by Wes Craig and it looks bug nuts. Right. Um, same with poison Ivy. The, there's a poison Ivy story in here written by G Willow Wilson, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, but like not much G Willow Wilson is doing here is really driving the interest in the story so much as the, the, the like beautiful and strange Emerios art. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even like, <laughs> there's even some like lip service made that like poison Ivy's story will continue in 2022, but not with this, <laughs> like, right, we know right. it's not, we know it's not this, you know, they do the same thing with, um, Talia al Ghul. Uh, they do the same thing with, I think one other character, maybe, 
Um, oh, Red Hood. That one might continue because there's a weird that's Red Hood, but it's about like the Joker Red Hood hood and not like Jason Todd, the character. Mm-hmm. And there's a hint that there there might be a story picked up there in the future. And I, I think there might be, but like even the Talia story, Joshua Williams is Williamson is co-writing that, but I don't think much is going to come from this story that's going to be applied in shadow war or whatever the thing is called. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to miss anything for that story by uh, not reading this. Right. So I just think like, really these have just become uh, really nice reasons to look at some unconventional artists doing DC work than they are anything in the way of like a fun or essential story. You know, I feel like some of those holiday anthologies we read were like, of course they're not essential, but they are like essential, like, how uh holiday stories for these characters sure, you know sure if you yeah. want a holiday story you read that rebirth holiday special and there's a bunch of good stuff in it none of these are going to be at all any sort of memorable or landmark story for these characters i would know? say the story that we read is memorable <laughs> for how fucking crazy it is yeah it's memorable in how bad shit it, it's just a vehicle for danny devito's uh ramblings so so, so we, we should mention this story is, is if it's a penguin and catwoman story it's written by one daniel devito uh have you ever heard the, the scene that commercial or heard it rather the radio commercial for Danny devito's limoncello <laughs> no but it sounds delightful he has a brand of limoncello and it's like danny devito he's such a good fellow something something limoncello it's fantastic so he clearly wrote that too. He must have, yes. Uh, they got fucking Dan Moore to draw this, which is crazy. But yeah. here is here is the story in a nutshell. Then I want you guys to talk about it. Um, the Penguin and the Catwoman are fucking, and they decide to save the world by vaccinating everybody. To be honest, if I were to write a story with myself as the main character, I, that would be the exact plot. <laughs> um, and it reads as like. It reads as like Danny DeVito in character wish fulfillment, right? Oh, 100%. Yes. Like he's Danny DeVito, but he's also the penguin, <laughs> but he's also got Danny DeVito's real life, like political concerns, which is not, I don't think that's bad. I, I think the, the real problem is, is that it's not a very, um, uh, it's, it's, it's not a very, organized story it's not a very well paced or organized story you know it's a fever dream it's a fever dream oh yes zach that's yes that's very well done this is uh danny devito in full penguin makeup on like a a fainting couch in in having a fever dream after having a a nice egg in a trying time (laughs) It's it's what Frank Reynolds sees after he crawls out of the couch naked in that one episode. <laughs> Clowns clip vat of vax five billion doses stolen. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it's just like I, I see what he was going for in that, like, you're supposed to think they're up to something villainous and sinister. And I guess for probably like half the country, they are. <laughs> um, it was it was good and fun. And the Dan Moore art was incredible. Yeah, the Dan Moore art was great. Very, very playful. I don't know if I'm going to go so far to say that it's good. I think I it was good. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. No, I think it's I think it's just a little sloppy. I think. And, you know, Danny DeVito's not a not a comic book writer. Right. Right. So I think he's got some really interesting kind of wacky ideas. I think these ideas would actually fit in like a Burton slash Schumacher. Uh, bad verse, actually. But I think like the the way the script kind of the way the script kind of runs through it is a little bit it's 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 obviously somebody who hasn't written for the comic book form you know i wouldn't say it's necessarily like i don't think it stands out like a sore thumb in terms of like a weird scripting um perspective i just think that it's so you just don't see stories like this in comics like structured this way mm mm-hmm. mhm I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I think comic stories and those are structured too samey, but um, I mean, this isn't very good. It's fine. It's fine for what it is, right? This is a this is essentially a goddamn goof, and it's a good one. Yeah. Yes. If if you're turning, if if all it is is an excuse to turn Danny DeVito loose with this character that he ostensibly hasn't revisited in like thirty years, um, yeah, hell, I'm all for it. Um. Yeah, it's not bad. It's just not like good or transcendent. Yes, I I think it's pretty good for like a one-off in an anthology, though. Yeah, if sure. this sure. if this was in a different anthology, I think it would be an amusing curio because this anthology is so dull. It stands out probably more than it should. Sure. I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed to hear that this anthology isn't great because I, I didn't read the whole thing, but I flipped through it and it looked really cool. And the, the creators attached to it are very interesting. Yeah, it looks great all the way through. That that Emerios art in the Poison Ivy thing is just it's how I want every Poison Ivy book to look now. But <sighs> yeah. All right, well, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will take we'll talk about the last three issues of this week. Three issues? Four issues? So many comments. I don't even know. Two, three, three issues, yeah. So stay tuned. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. 
And we are back with Justice League Incarnate number one, written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, illustrated by Brandon Peterson and Andre Bresson and Tom Derenick. Zach, take us away with this one. What do you think of this? Um, I I both liked this and thought it was a little underwhelming. Um, well said. I think that for a book that is kind of nominally the second act of whatever big thing Williamson is doing, it feels very shoddily put together in that it has multiple artists working on it, none of whom are like bad artists, but they also aren't really like top name artists either, you know, and it has a co-writer, which is not, again, inherently a bad thing, but it's not something you typically see on like a book that is quote unquote important. Um, and it also like does a lot of the big things that you would expect from this kind of book, but it's also kind of safe in a lot of ways too. So uh, I don't, I don't really know what I think about it. I am a little worried that we are going to like water down all of the like good Morrison, Morrison multiversity stuff that we like, and it's just going to be boring eventually. Um, the one thing I will say before I want to hear Vince's thoughts is that if you recall, the Infinite Frontier miniseries had multiple artists on it too. I, it, it did. Yeah. And so You're I right. feel like, I feel like I don't, it's very easy to read that as a uh, like a an issue with getting it done on time. We need to have people come in and redraw things and all that. But it could also just be it's setting up these like two or three different stories, and these three artists are going to take those stories throughout the six issues. I actually think this one's only five or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think it's a little five, shorter. Yeah. Um, so Vince, what'd you think of this? Yeah, I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. Um, first of all, I wish uh, Bresson, Bresson was drawing the whole thing because uh, those pages are, are by far the best. They almost scratch the uh, John Davis Hunt itch, itch a little Ooh, bit. Good call. Yeah, that's an excellent call. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, they do. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> um yeah, if the whole book like looked like this, I think I'd be hi higher on it. Um, Tom Derenick, I think is is fine, but like just very much like a DC cleanup guy mm -hmm. at this point. Um, and we all know I'm I'm not the biggest Brandon Peterson fan. Stiff and posed, everybody's doing a, a, a nut face. Um, Although I I will say I think this is this is maybe the least offensive Peterson we've gotten recently. I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking at a picture of big baby uh, looking like he's <laughs> doing a big something in his <laughs> diaper and I'm not liking it. <laughs> um, no, I'm just not. I'll never be a fan, I guess. Um, um, the other thing that, you know, to kind of second Zach's point about overusing the Morrison stuff, I, I don't want to say that because I, I very much do want I do want DC to take on more of Morrison's vision for it. Meaning like 
you know, when Morrison was driving Final Crisis and all the different spinoffs of that, there was something you were you were seeing stuff that you rarely saw in the pages of DC Comics at that time. You were seeing, you know, new characters, characters that hadn't been used in a while in like fairly important roles, um, recontextualization of old characters um, to new, like sometimes topical uh usage i think like morrison's dcu is what i want but i think i need it to be faster paced than this um there's something very strange about you know we're we're in the first issue of the second uh uh second arc of i guess of the meta narrative here and there's another page where like we're going to start taking shots every time we say meta narrative. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's another page where they show like the, the multiversal map and somebody explains to everyone else, like what they're supposed to be doing. You know, I think we get it at this point. I think we understand that the multiverse is broken. We don't need um, Savage Dragon explaining it to us. Um, See, I, I have no problem with that sort of thing in the first issue. Yeah. <sighs> I just think, but, but that's, that's, that's one instance of a greater problem here, which is I that agree. like, I agree. A, another thing they do is like, you know, what made me roll my eyes actually more than anything else. Let me, let me find the exact quote. It's towards the end of the issue. So the, most of this issue takes place like on earth eight, or at least like regarding earth eight, mm-hmm. right? There's a, part near the end of the issue where Avery and Dr. Multiverse like jump through a boom tube portal on earth eight and disappear. And the rest of the justice league incarnate doesn't know where they go. And one of the characters says, let me see. Oh, it's um, it's the aqua woman of earth 11. Is it um, says, then we go to earth eight right now and pick up the trail there. <laughs> And it's like, no, we just spent an issue on Earth-8. Are, are we really going to spend part of another issue of the team going to Earth-8 and not being able to find who they're looking for? But isn't the whole point of her saying that for someone to shoot her down and say we're not doing that? Oh, I don't know. I, it, I'm just saying it made me roll my eyes because what, the, what, I, what it feels like, and it's felt like it felt like this in the Infinite Frontier series as well, is that like every issue is about traveling to the place where they're maybe going to have the conflict and then they don't and if there was more going on aside from that you forgive it because that's how stories get from one place to another but it's almost like that's all the story is about you know see the first issue of this has dark side like dark side is the big bad of all of this and he's just constantly like showing up and fighting people (laughs) And it makes it feel less than somehow. It makes it feel ordinary. So I don't disagree with any of that necessarily, except I think that he also fights Thanos. He, <laughs> he does fight Thanos. He does yes. the snap. He snaps his neck. It says snap on on page. That is great. That is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say though, Vince, I, I I think that your I think that your thesis is not in, is not your thesis is correct, but I think that that earth eight bit of dialogue is not what you think it is at all like to me that is just that's what you say when a team member goes missing and then they instantly pivot away from that because orion shows up and they're never going back to earth eight like i don't think that was i don't think that was supposed to be a bellwether of things to come at all 
Okay, um, maybe maybe not, but like enough of that has happened. Sure, in the yes. series yeah, that, that it makes that, that, it makes that's you what worry. I mean. Yes, I, yeah. I mean I I don't think you're wrong in theory, but I think this individual instance is not correct. Sure, yeah, um, I hope you're right. Yeah, I, I thought this was more or less fine. I I have two sort of contradictory thoughts that go similar to what you guys have said. This both feels like it's going too slowly for me, and also it's not taking enough time to really do the thing it's trying to do. And it's very frustrating when those two things are happening. Like, for instance, I don't think you needed to do half of the stuff with, um, is it Tartarus? Is that the, is that the, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the fake Thanos, uh, Tartarus and dark side, like they're retreading that ground for a third of this issue. And it's, you don't need to go that you don't need to do that because it slows down the action elsewhere. But that said, if there was something deep and interesting happening there, then this then that could have been the whole issue and I wouldn't have minded. So it's it's this it's this dueling thing of on one hand it's too slow, on the other hand, it's not focused enough. That is my big critique of this, uh, aside from some of the art uh stuff we talked about. And uh, uh yeah. I will say bringing in Avery um, as the replacement Flash is very cool. I think both yes. as like that being a Williamson character and as just like a great character to replace Barry, that's really good. I also like Captain Multiverse as like a new member of Justice Incarnate. Mm -hmm. Taking the place uh, or, of, of uh, Machine Head or whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, that's, that's also very good to me. Um, and... Um, I am like, I, I'm still like very much digging the great darkness stuff. I, I'm interested to see what is going to come of that. If that's going to be in Williamson's thing, if that's going to be in a Bendis thing, I don't know. But like, eh, I am just immensely fascinated with the idea of like, there's this other multiverse that is like the pre-crisis multiverse. And I, I just think that's like, it's not an innovative idea, but it's just so gaudy and outlandish. I love it. Everyone knows that the multiverse died, the end of crisis on infinite earths. What this book presupposes is maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't. <laughs> I love how the writers are having to find like, okay, what is, what is the one thing we technically haven't done yet? <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's go back and do that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I generally enjoy this. And I do think that, it's weird that DC decided or Williams that whoever decided to break up this story into multiple miniseries. Cause I think if this had come out the month after infinite frontier number six, it would have felt far more cohesive and there wouldn't have been the need to have the savage dragon explain this and to have, it could have just flowed as a, as a more natural second act of the story. But because there was some time, because, you know, it just it just feels like it's a bit disjointed. I'm hoping that next issue corrects that a bit. Part of me, it kind of reminds me of the way Crisis on Infinite Earths felt in that it was a 12 issue series, but it was broken up into like several acts. And I almost mm -hmm. kind of wish they just did that. Mm hmm. Um, on the other hand, I, I do like the concept of a three act structure where the series, the event series don't necessarily roll right into one another. If 
if the infinite frontier meta narrative drink were actually more cohesive than it is you know what i mean mm-hmm. if, if there were like things going on in the dcu that directly tied into this from an act one act two and act three perspective but really they're not anything that is ostensibly under the infinite frontier banner maybe occasionally is making gestures at infinite frontier but this feels so disconnected it's it's kind of crazy like nobody else on earth uh thinks that the justice league incarnate is is uh fighting dark side right now you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah. Nobody, nobody is acting like that's happening. And I, I, I kind of wish it was that then in that way, it would be a little bit more like crisis, right? Yes. Yeah. I think all that, all that tracks. All right. Let's um, move over to teen Titans Academy. Number eight written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Mike Norton. We should mention the reason that we were going to be talking about this book is because in Shazam number four, it says to be continued in Teen Titans Academy number eight. And that doesn't happen here. <laughs> um, kind of. There's like one reference to it or something like that. There's Yeah. A, yeah. But it really isn't cre- continued, continued no. here. Um, but I will say that this is interesting because this has Wally bringing his kids to possibly enroll in the school there and people treating him as a murderer, which like is something that I think is a very astute thing that Tim Sheridan does here. I would think that if if the DC universe was in the real world, people would be terrified of Wally West because of what happened in the events of Heroes in Crisis. Um, so I thought that was actually a really clever thing to do. And at the end of the issue, we get an appearance from Roy. Roy shows up at the school, too. So you have Wally and Roy. You have basically the entire original Teen Titans in this issue, which is pretty cool. Um, Zach, what do you think of this? Um, it it was good. I feel like we should we're supposed to just let you slobber over this. Um, this is this is Brian Bait through and through. Um, I liked this. Um, I still like this book a lot. It um, I had been surprised at how slowly it's been coming out. It seems like it's had some delays, which is interesting. Um, so I actually looked into that because I was trying to catch up today. So it uh-huh. looks like it came out at the end of August and then the September issue was delayed to the beginning of October and then the uh-huh. October issue was delayed to the beginning of November. So it just, it just keeps getting, you know, kicked down the can down the road a little end bit. End of November. And no, no, there was one November. There was an issue like November 2nd or whatever and then another issue November 30th. Are you sure? I'm positive. Because yes. I caught I, I caught up and there was one at the end of August or mid, there was one in August and there was one in September and then there was this one. I think there was one more in there, but I don't cares? think so. <laughs> we are, we are the, so on our shit tonight. Let, let me look this up. Quickly. Go ahead. Because <laughs> I just caught on a, up on it, too. I had to read that Grodd arc, um, which was two issues. I hadn't read that. Um, and part of me wonders if that has to do with the fact that it was waiting on the Shazam arc to finish. Yeah. Cause that... Issue number seven came out November 2nd. Okay. Was the one before that in August, though? Um, keep talking. Okay. Um, <laughs> or not. 
No, I'm sorry. No, oh, I'm yes, distracted. you're right. You're right. It was August, August 31st. Okay, I thought there had only been two issues. That's that's yeah. so we were both wrong and right. Sure. Um, as usual. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this. It was good. This book is still very good. I just it's one of those books that I didn't I, I think very highly of it. I think it's one of the best books at DC right now, but I don't have a lot to say about individual issues. It's something I think that I'll want to talk about like at the end of the first year or when it's all done. Just because there are a lot of moving pieces that we only get bits and pieces of each issue. And so it it kind of makes each issue like it's satisfying, but also a little unsatisfying. Well, that, that's kind of commented on in the text in this issue where they say like there are yeah. too many kids here like we maybe we have maybe we've expanded too much here and yeah so that, you know i, I yeah. that obviously a little bit of meta narrative there yeah uh, because you are you know you're, you're introducing all these kids yeah right um you've got the plot with red x you've got this plot with dane and tying and, and kind of going along with that shazam and all of the future state stuff that may or may not happen and then you've got um just the the you know the school itself both like the students and the higher-ups and kind of all their their little dramas you know we get nods to uh dick and babs are a thing again and so they, they kind of comment on you know dick and Corey aren't together together now um so it's just commenting and touching on all these different things um and i love it but I still kind of want to see where everything's going before I weigh in on it a bit. If that makes sense. Sure. Vince, what'd you think? Yeah, I feel that in a big way. Um, Zach, exactly what you're saying. I I was thinking about this a lot after reading this issue because I loved the issue on its own, like reading it. I was like, this is, this is so great. This is what I want in a Teen Titans comic. If I have any complaints, it's just that they are touching on all of these things and not not focusing in on anything enough for me to really get, to really sink my teeth into any of it, you know? And throwing primer and whistle from from the DC OGNs into this, are a couple of wild touches that I, I don't even know what that says that that feels like some kind of like, it almost feels like this book is in some ways, like just the, the bellwether or the, or an advertisement in some ways for DC's entire youth line, including the OGNs. Now <laughs> I am shocked. We haven't gotten, uh, is it Ty the, the, the green lantern from the green lantern legacy OGN. Oh yeah, the one that showed up in the Asian uh, yeah, celebration. Yeah, yeah, is it Thai Fam? Maybe I'm surprised we haven't seen that. I character think that's in this right. Book yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're next. Um, but there, there's something. I so keep in mind. Like I, I read an issue of this and I go, man, that was great. That was like substantial. It took me a while to read it, but it wasn't like overly wordy. It's just that like. There's so much happening. There's so much going on. Teen Titans Academy is a bustling place. And, and yet I have this like 
there's something that keeps me at a distance and it's this feeling of FOMO. I think it's, it's a fear of missing out and it's entirely irrational. I think, or maybe it's, maybe it's, it is rational from a, I understand how comics publishing works and how uh, the churn of comic books works in 2021, but it's irrational for somebody to think this when they're just trying to enjoy a story. But what I do when I read this book is I think there's so many great moving parts to this and it's going to be canceled by issue 12. (laughs) And, and I mean that like I'm exaggerating, maybe it won't be issue 12, but you know, let's say it's issue 18 or whatever, you know, it's going to be canceled too soon for all the great stuff that it's doing. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I can't, so like, the red X mystery. I love it. Like some people are sick of it, but I think like, what a great way. What, what a great thing to like keep in the background and make tease. There's so many teases like, Oh, they're going to reveal him or, you know, here he is taking his mask off, but he's, he's like obscured in shadow. Right. There's all these red herrings um, involving that character. I love all that stuff. But then I think, you know, there, to me, there's nothing wrong with telling that story in that way until you consider, well, if this is over in 12 issues, that's going to feel like it went nowhere. Right. Or it got rushed. Same with like, you know, we got that new class of Teen Titans and then like issue six was a graduation or not graduation uh, end of end of year. It was end of the semester end of semester, whatever. And and I'm just thinking like, really? (laughs) Like that feels to me like a book that knows that it's not going to make it more than 18 issues. Right. And that's a damn shit. That's nothing against the work that Sheridan or any of the artists is doing. It's just this weird external force that affects my enjoyment of this particular book. (laughs) And it's a pro it's a problem with me probably, but it's also a problem with, the way comics are are published. Well, yeah, I, I think that's very well said because I think that there are some comics that you should be able to read and enjoy just the one issue because it's designed to be read that way. Like to, to me, it's all about managing the expectation of what the comic is supposed to be, right? And this is supposed to be this like wide-ranging big cast book. And for that to be a thing, it has to last you know, a lot, more than more than 12 or 18 issues or whatever. And yeah. so or or it needs more spinoffs like the Shazam yes. stuff getting its own side thing. We need yes. more of that. To yes, flesh exactly. These characters out. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yes. All of a sudden there's a Titans book that spins out of this where it's the Titans team versus the Teen Titans, you know, right. Instead right. of the Teen Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And like even just something like, you know, you all know that I am the world's biggest fan of Bunker, um, aside from possibly creator Scott Lobdell. Uh, may he die on the way back to his home planet. Um, wow. But Scott Lobdell is going back to his home planet. That's all. Um, but in Fortnite. Know, yes, in of Minecraft. Course. In Minecraft. That's, that's right. <laughs> um, I that's thought it was Fortnite, too. <laughs> um, I just I, 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 I think play, we play works. a lot. Yeah. In, the metaverse. in the metaverse. In the metaverse. In the metaverse. There we go. Um, we, we play like, a lot of Fortnite around this house. So, yeah. but you know, it, the idea that like I love the bunkers in this book, 
and Bunker's talked about in this issue, like, oh, he's the field commander, or whatever. But we haven't had a single scene with Bunker talking, for, talking like not in an action setting, right? The character is just he's there, but there's not enough time to get to him at all. We've barely spent time with Donna Troy in this book. You know, it's just there's there's so many characters that we could be spending more time with that we are that we're just not. So I agree with you on that. That's um, any other thoughts on this before we move on. All right. It's time for our final book of the week, which is Wonder Woman Historia, the Amazons number one. Written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, illustrated by Phil Jimenez. This long delayed book is finally out, and it was worth every minute of the wait for this fucking art. I mean, this is like career defining stuff for Jimenez, right? Like, in a career that's already defined by excellent art. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, this is like, I don't even know what to compare this to, honestly, in terms of like a, an already revered and well-respected artists like leveling up to another level um it's unbelievable i guess the closest thing i would think of and this i don't think it necessarily tracks but it's kind of like maybe i'm just thinking that because the it, the art has a similar effect on me it reminds me of like the liam sharp glow up in rebirth okay that's a good call yeah um but I don't think Liam Sharp was necessarily on the same level as Jimenez prior to that, really. Um, no offense to Liam Sharp. He, he's a very good artist, but like um, he had kind of been out of the game for a while, whereas Jimenez has had a pretty steady presence. He, he's maybe been out a little bit more, but has had a pretty steady presence since what, like the 90s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What I was going to compare the glow up to is is nothing visually similar at all, but just sort of the um, the mindset behind it. Whereas to me, it reminded me of when Mignola came back to do Hellboy in Hell, where it was like Hellboy in Hell is the most unfiltered, distilled version of Mignola's art. Like it takes mm -hmm. everything that isn't a Mignola ism and just throws it away. So all you're left with is like this is the pure artistic vision of this guy and whereas Jimenez did not throw anything away he brought everything into this but this does everything that Jimenez does right like this is this is as this is as representative of his work as anything I've ever seen him do this feels like the most Jimenez comic I've ever read I mean that in the best possible way Vince I, I don't even know how to talk about this one really because like <laughs> honestly like I, I, I look I, man the, first of all those preview pages we saw we saw like a few pages before we actually got our hands on the actual issue I think and or maybe that was just me flipping through it real quick when no, we, we did no we, we, did. we saw we did. yeah okay okay and it was insane. And I thought like, okay, the whole book cannot look like this. Right. <laughs> and it basically does. And, you know, it changes a little bit when we get to the, um, uh, the, the Hippolyta stuff, the right? Hippolyta stuff. Right. Right. But like, it's still absolutely gorgeous. It's just more conventionally told. Um, and in, but in purposely a, conventionally told. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, it's actually telling like a, like a human narrative at that point. Right. Um, versus, versus the, the stuff with the, 
gods and the origin of the Amazons, which is supposed to be just this amorphous, unexplainable, impossible, um, you know, non-linear almost view of what, of what life for them is like, right? Um, insane levels of detail. Like, I don't even know how a person draws. I don't even know how a person does this, you know, like, like some of the detail on these buildings in the background uh, of this shot where um, Zeus is like sitting on the throne, you know, just, just the insane detail on things. Every the, the page with all of the urns. Yes. yes. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Every, um, every millimeter of these pages is just like poured over and it, it's um I I almost feel like reading it in the format that we did with these kind of, you know, slightly low res review pdfs is it, i mean it's doing it a grave disservice yes. i think yeah um, absolutely i'm going to my comic book shop tomorrow and or uh, yeah, i guess it is tomorrow and yeah. buying this it'll be the first time i yeah. bought a physical comic in a while um but i need to i agree yeah, yeah it demands so to be read physically i think yeah or I, I, I could also see possibly it being um, if you bought like a comiXology version mm. of it on a nice big like 4K monitor or something, it could look gorgeous that way as your, well. Your TV or, yeah. screen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just buy one of those like um, those like large digital picture frames and you just put that on repeat. Yeah, in your exactly. Home and yeah. Like this is art. Yeah. Um, That's a great idea. It's incredible. I, and like, it also kind of reminds me of like J.H. Williams a little bit mm -hmm. in like the level of detail and the way color is used um, and like big shout outs to the colorist on this book. Um, I think it's what it's hi-fi Arif Prianto and Romulo Fajardo mm -hmm. um, Jr. <laughs> it's um, like they do incredible work and I, I can't tell really, you know, where, who is doing what necessarily. I think of those, um, Fajardo is the only one that I feel like has a very distinctive, like I, like a coloring style that I would recognize. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not as familiar with Prianto and, and Hi-Fi is a bit of a chameleon. Um, yeah, we talked about that recently. These days. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's incredible. Um, yeah. and that's an understatement. It's just like there are really no words for we also have not mentioned the writing once, <laughs> yeah. No, and, and I mean, but we we will, right? Like, yeah, we'll get to it. Can I say one more thing about the art? Sure, my okay. I just want to talk about my favorite double page spread if I could, and there's several of them that are fantastic right? Like every page of this is gorgeous, but there's the part where they're putting together parts that are going to create, um, the, that are going to create like the Amazons. Right. Mm -hmm. And it talks about Artemis offering a bone. Um, and it talks about, 
Hecate offering dirt and clay, blah, 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 whatever. It's, you see this like insane antler creature. You see a bunch of like floating crystal masks and these like, these like uh, dissected arms or something stretching out with like all this magical stuff happening. It's really, it, uh, the only way I can describe it is like, this is how God, it's like how gods see their world or how gods perceive everything shown on the comic book page in a way that like our eyes cannot even really process what's exactly happening. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like the, the truest vision I've maybe seen at least at DC or Marvel of like breaking for. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. There, there's a word. Yeah. That there's the word I'm looking for. Right. Like, it's it's a it's a way to show you something that that human eyes can't see and somehow to put that on a comic book page right it's fucking wild <laughs> thank you zach thanks for the assist you're welcome i needed that um the writing is really good too though oh yes the writing is way better than it needs to be for me to buy this book because the art is so <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And I, I I, do like, I think the conversation about this book is going to center around the art, obviously. But this is some of the best stuff Kelly Sue has done at DC, I think. Yeah, um, or, or ever. Or ever, really, yeah. Yeah, I think this is excellent. Um, I think that she get such a perfect tone when Zeus is talking specifically but all the gods but Zeus in particular is like I could read a hundred pages of that guy just going off um, <laughs> there's like a there's like a poetic nature to it all that doesn't feel pretentious or uh, you know up its own ass or, or frustrating to read mm -hmm. it's just very well it's just very well written i don't know it, it it's not overly written by any stretch um there there aren't i mean there are some pages where there are i guess like a lot of words but not really like honestly deconic lets the art do a lot of it mm -hmm. um well yeah. part of that is they have the page count to do that right like Sure. Yeah. I think if this if this had to be squeezed into 20 pages or 22 pages, there would have had to have been less art and more words. But because this is a nice long book, you can you can give both of them plenty of space to do their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I thought a lot about how, like, you know, the, the temptation and it, it, it kind of does serve as this. But the temptation is to make a Wonder Woman Historia that is effectively the definitive story of how the how Themyscira intersects with Greece and the Greek gods and the origins of all of that it, there's a real temptation for DC to just say like okay this is it this is going to be the definitive origin of all things Wonder Woman right 
And honestly, if they were smart, they might make this that, but I don't, I don't think that that's what this really is. And Kelly Sue kind of tips her hand in the little opening sort of uh, um, imageless, just like text dump at the beginning where she says something like, let's see, there is no objective version, neither this one nor that. So, you know, realizing that this is not the de- going to be the definitive DC origin necessarily, whether it should be or not, like the amount of work she does to like create, recreate the, the, the mythology from the ground up of like the individual Amazonian tribes and how they correspond to these specific gods that we've seen in wonder woman uh, mythology before, but not in this form and not in this context recontextualize it all and make it fit and make it all, you know, with Phil Jimenez, but I'm sure like uh, through the narrative, you know, a lot of this is like Jimenez reacting to the narrative, like they, okay, they need Artemis to be a huntress. So then Jimenez makes this like absolutely gorgeous uh, version of Artemis that has all these antlers and is riding a big um, uh, multi-horned boar, right? All, all of this stuff twists together so well to recreate all this stuff from the ground up to fit like a puzzle perfectly. And on top of that, the writing does everything it can to relate it back to womanhood, right? Uh, like one of the most interesting things I think about the narration is, okay, she's showing you all these feminine gods, right? And how each of them resemble womanhood or reflect womanhood in some way. Right. But she doesn't do that with like, she's not overly obvious about it. She does it with like a line, just a line of narration. Women. She sees beyond your walls. Artemis knows you for the wild creature. You truly are. You know, she's talking about <laughs> to make a social media joke. The girl reading this, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I, that, that's just, just, that's all Kelly Sue. And that is so beautiful. I think um, it, man, all of this is so well considered and stitched up that it's, it's just, like I said, I don't even know how to talk about it because it's, it's, it sure as hell feels like the best thing DC put out this year. And I, I didn't get to vote for it in any of the <laughs> multiversity year end stuff, but um it, t- it takes the prize for anything DC. That's for sure. Yeah, this is excellent. Do we know when the second issue is coming out? Um, at the end spring. of spring 2020. Yeah. yeah it, it'll it's worth the wait whenever it is. Yeah. I think it, one of these has come out a year. Three, I think. Three. It's okay. three. Yeah. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. We truly appreciate it. Go to DC3Cast.com for our Patreon and more. Uh, Vince, what is coming out next week? Um, I have to click one page back just to see. Okay. Uh, Arkham City, Order of the World 3, Batman 118, uh, Batman 89 4, 
uh, Crush and Lobo 7, Dark Knights of Steel 2, uh, Soul Plumber 3, if you're into that, uh, Green Lantern 9, Justice League Infinity 6, One Star Squadron 1, Suicide Squad 10, Superman Son of Kal-El Annual uh, 2021, uh, The Joker Presents a Puzzle Box, number 5, uh, Swamp Thing, number 10, and World of Krypton, number 1. Well, uh I know what we're talking about, but there's actually a fair amount of interesting stuff we're not even going to get to for next week. I feel like these next couple of weeks have really interesting releases coming out. So um, enjoy your DC Comics, folks. You can find two thirds of us on Twitter. Until then, I'm at Brian is an app. And I'm at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince. He's making me edit jokes out of this podcast. Yes, please. Please do that. Please. <laughs> it, it's not it's not my joke. I'm not the canceled one. Um, but it reflects poorly on me. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. You you also just like simped up a little bit, like in, in the <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, but why did I do that? That's the question. You know, the the question is what because led me. You to got that. more simp like. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Zach, drink a margarita before every show.